All right, welcome to another edition here of Beyond Eight Figures. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Hello. It's good to have you back. Thank you. I, I missed, missed you. you. I missed you, too. It's good to have you Jinx, back. Jinx, a bottle of grape. No, chocolate's for us. All right, uh, Richie Ote doing his uh, fun stuff on the beach, and uh, he'll be back next week. By the way, it's got it under control in the studio. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters. And here on Beyond 8 Figures, we sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million. And we get to the bottom of their strategies for starting and scaling and exiting from that business. And today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by Steve Gray. And, uh, and, and Steve's got a pretty interesting entrepreneurial background and a heck of an endeavor going on right now in, uh, in Primal Labs and Primal Health and all that fun stuff that's going on there. So, Steve, welcome to Beyond 8 Figures. Let's get right into it. How are things? Things are well. Thanks, Steve, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Really, really great having you here. And where, where are you joining us from in the, in the whole wide world? I am in the Dallas, Texas area, Allen specifically, just north of Dallas. Gotcha. Nice, man. All right, so let's let's just get this out of the way early here. How do you meet the criteria for Beyond Eight Figures? If you listen to the show, you know that we ask you just to clarify. You know, did you did you exit a business for more than ten million, or is your current business grossing more than ten million? Just uh, just clarify yeah. how you meet the criteria. Yeah, so Primal Labs is uh, we did about twenty million dollars in sales last year, and uh, have been running that for for several years now. It's actually done uh, over ten million in the last four years: sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Nice. So, what do you what do you think you're on pace to do for 19? 20 to 25, if everything goes well. You know, you never know. If you hit everything out of the park, maybe we end up at 30 plus again. But I think 20 to 25 is a conservative number. Privately held or? Uh, yeah, yes, all privately held. Do you have shareholders or are you the only owner or how did you? No, there are currently a couple partners in the business, me and one other silent partner. Mm-hmm. So you run the day-to-day, he helped to finance the startup. He, he played a role. No, actually didn't finance. He played a role in the advertising uh, aspect early on. Mm. Uh, he's gone to other things at this point. So gotcha. it's just me, day-to-day. All right. And let's talk about what uh, what Primal actually does. So what, what does sure. the company do? So we're actually a combination information supplement company. We cater to baby boomers and all of the health issues that baby boomers seem to be plagued with, like blood pressure, blood sugar, brain health, joint pain, all the things that happen as you get older. And we really like to work with our, our customer the, is, the, is the boomer, baby boomer that is, is conscious about their health. Uh, maybe they're tired of taking drugs all the time for something uh, and, and or they just want to take a more natural approach. So we team up with natural health doctors, actually work with a great one uh, and her husband, Marlene Merritt and Will out of Austin. And uh, so they, they create content for us, uh, newsletters, information, books about specific issues, like I said, blood pressure, blood sugar. And then we sell the information to, to our customers and also sell them the supplements that we make to address those concerns or help, help them along the way as well. Are you white labeling the... No, no, we actually formulate, uh, I'm going to say 90% of our supplements. Now we do white label a few uh, items, particularly if we're going to do a market test or we want to uh, fill out our catalog, we might white label something from a provider to have something. But we much prefer the self-formulation route where we go in and actually formulate those supplements on our own based around scientific studies for that particular issue. So, so you, you started this in 2012? 
We did in 2012. And you rocketed yes. that fast? We did. Well, part of it, uh, part of the, the, I guess, magic. So, you know, it's the, what's the saying? It's a 20 years overnight success story. Is that how it goes? Something yeah, right. Like that? Yeah. So, so this was not my first business. I've been in direct response online advertising since 2002 um, and actually started years ago. I was in Herbalife for a little bit, which is what kind of got me into the supplement side of things and figured out how to sell Herbalife online with an econ store. And one thing led to another, and it's just been a, it's been a, a journey of business after business. And you know, one of your questions that I think you guys had was, was it a, was it a passion or a profit venture for me? And it's, it's definitely both. I've always been interested in health and natural health and uh, it just, you know, right place, right time, right opportunity. And it was, it was uh, combining all of that experience and knowledge together to, to launch the business and uh, it's done well. So mm -hmm. with, with one of the, one of the things about direct response to your question is that, you know, when you have an offer, when you have a sales process that works, to, to go from, you know, X to 10X is really just more advertising. It's not, you do have some business to scale as well, but for, for the most part, it's just more advertising so that you can drive those sales, sales numbers up. So. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to take actually a step before the step here, and I know you've done a number yeah. of different things over the years, but let me, let me just make sure that people understand uh, you, you were actually involved. So were, were you involved with the CyberCorp exit? Or were you gone by then? So you you came on as as employee number five on a company called CyberCorp, right? Yep, back in Austin in '97, if I think if my math is right. So yeah, fifth employee started as uh, customer support. It was a small company at the time. We were uh, Philip Berber who uh, started that business. Uh, he actually run, him and his wife run Glimmer of Hope now, which is an awesome uh, awesome charity. Mm -hmm. But he uh, he uh, started that business. And uh, we were building the software and licensing it out to day trading uh, companies, day trading uh, brokerages. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of the model shift was, was taking that software and then going direct to the consumer with it. So to your question, I was the fifth employee. Uh, I, I started as customer support and kind of grew with the company as the company grew, ended up running their uh, network operations center for the, the trading. And I was there when we did go through the Schwab exit. I did not play a role in it per se, but I was there uh, while everything happened. Mm -hmm. Were you? Did you benefit from that exit? Yeah, very much so. I had uh, I had stock options that that uh, everybody had as we were as we came on board, and uh, I think at the time the options were when we when when Schwab purchased the options were rough roughly about three million dollars of stocks. Mm -hmm. So that's a nice payday for uh, for somebody who didn't. Well, you know, and and <laughs> obviously you didn't you didn't have a lot of the risk. You didn't start nope. the company. You you came nope. in, yeah, uh, good timing. And uh, were, were you able to then invest that windfall into other endeavors that did well, or did you, no, did you just no, lose actually, it, or what happened to the yeah. to the windfall? Actually, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those stories that you look back on and say, you know, if I could do it again, I'd do it differently. But it's also one of the most um, educational experiences for me. And uh, the challenge for me was that unlike some of the other people in the company, I did not have the cash at the time to buy the options for the exit. So, Ouch. so the, yeah. the long-term capital gain started upon the, the purchase, right? So when Schwab purchased, that was when long-term started. And ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, the difference between short-term, long-term capital gains at that point was about $600,000. Mm -hmm. 
And I didn't want to just flush that away. Knowing what I know now, I probably would have sold it all, sat on the cash and figured out what I wanted to do. But mm -hmm. I didn't do that. And um, we did not spend it all. But what, what happened was I uh, reinvested back into the market, back into Schwab, actually. Another mistake, you know, not diversifying. So I was back in the, in the, the same company, bought more stock on margin. Uh, which actually in the short term worked out really well. I was up on the position and, and everything looked good. And as they say, everything worked until it didn't. And and it started not working and going the wrong way. Then margin calls happened, one thing after another. So March of 2000 uh, was the exit, February, March of 2000. By uh, August of 2001, Due to market dropping, margin calls, all of that, three million was about seven hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. And uh, I again, uh, you know, young didn't know any different. Hey, it's all going to come back. The market only goes up; it never goes down. This is just a blip in the radar. And you know, I, I give myself credit. Now there are a lot of guys a lot smarter than me that that got caught up in it as well. For sure. So it was a it was an interesting time. But I put all of those. Um, put all that money back into long-term options, hoping that the, the, the market would come back and, and everything would be great. Uh, and obviously it didn't. So about that time in August, I had uh, gone back to school, finished my degree, and I did a study abroad. And when we came back from that, uh, it was down to about 300 grand. And that, uh, that's what we lived on for the next couple of years until I was broke and uh, had to kind of start all over again. Yeah. And so was the, the, the next endeavor, was that primal or was there no, uh, something in between? No, yeah. I had to go back and work for my dad for a while and mm -hmm. uh, spent some time in the family business, uh, making ends meet, paying the bills, doing the best I could. And, and that was, uh, there was some, some crossover there between, uh, I told you I'd been buying advertising and, and online marketing since about 2002. So there's a little overlap there where I had started that, but hadn't really figured it out. So I was working with my dad uh, trying to figure that stuff out on the side and finally, mm -hmm. finally did that. And in 2007, I went full time. So that's so 2007 is kind of the, the break point there. Yeah. And, and you uh, obviously the promo starting then in 2012, Correct. There were, uh, were there just hits, Other, and, hits and misses in between? Small stuff, small stuff. It was a lot of learning. I, I did some affiliate marketing, figuring out how to, how direct, direct response worked, you know, promoting other people's products, had a couple products of my own that were small. They weren't, they weren't, uh, they weren't great hits. Um, and it was just kind of learning and getting better at the craft, uh, being a student of the business and, and getting better every year. And I just kind of, like I said, culminated to when that opportunity arose, it's the right time in the right place. Mm -hmm. So, so take us then through the really embryonic stages of primal, because I would venture to guess with, you know, 20 to 25 mil this year, there's no way you're doing this on your own. Right. So, Oh, now, yeah. no, no way. So, no. but when you first yeah. started, was it yep. just you with an idea? It was, uh, it was me and two other partners. Um, the one of the partners actually primal didn't start in its infancy. You know, we always talk about pivoting and, and changing business models. And we, we had that a fair share of that ourselves. We started actually as a weight loss product for the paleo market. So mm. it was called paleo burn was the original product name. And one of the partners, we went that route because one of the partners had had a great success with himself and his family losing weight on the paleo diet. Mm -hmm. I said, Hey, well, let's take your story. Let's package it up. We can sell it in a way we'll go. And that's what we did. 
and things morphed uh, as they as they do. And uh, that partner decided to leave the business in 14. And it was that point that we strategically shifted uh, away from uh, somebody in the business as the focus to somebody outside the business. So then we started building around the doctors that we work with so that uh, in essence, that was a conscious choice because I didn't want to be the face of the business, uh, particularly if I ever wanted to sell it. I don't want it tied to me. It needs to run with or without me. So we, we focused our marketing efforts around the doctors and then uh, and grew from there. So that's kind of when the, the, we moved from the weight loss side to the, to the health side and the baby boomer mm-hmm. focus. Yep. So, I mean, the, the paleo opportunity, though, seems like it would be a pretty solid opportunity do what, what were you guys doing in, in revenue when you were focusing on on paleo before the pivot yeah so our revenue process uh or, you know our revenue um uh, i guess trajectory was was basically six hundred thousand the first year 2012 2013 was about three and a half million 2014 was about five and a half uh 15 was 11 to 11 and a half 16 was 33 and then 30 and 17 and then 20 and 18. So mm-hmm. uh, to, to your question, during that time, it was, we did a couple million dollars in sales. It wasn't, uh, we, we were making progress. We're on the right track, but we hadn't dialed in everything to the point to where we could really scale it. Mm-hmm. And so just logistically, so there's three of you, you, mm-hmm. the, the one partner goes away was there a buyout? I mean, you're doing a couple million dollars in revenue. This is not like the guy's yeah. just going to walk away, right? I mean, that's well. That's- there, there, there are some circumstances that 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 I don't can't get into and what happened, but it was not a it was not a friendly exit. He left, and uh, he, he given given the circumstances was happy to hand over his ownership. Uh, uh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay, we don't need to go too deep into that then. So you make this, this pivot and, 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 you know, so it's interesting. One of the easiest things that I think you can do, especially in the world of recurring revenue. And, and I assume that you've got a recurring revenue model in we terms of, yeah, just based on yeah. what you've described and we can get into that more specifically. But I think one of the easiest things to do in the, in the world of, of online marketing at this point is, well, identify that particular subset of the population that you want to serve basically mm-hmm. identify whatever their their problem is and in that video or in the pdf or whatever the giveaway is you know whatever you structure it as i mean if we're dealing with the uh you know let's just say it's the baby boomer market you know it could be something like you know 10 things you need in your diet to live to 100 healthy strong and, and fit as a fiddle right you know something like that and talk about all of these different things that they need to have in their diet and then go oh by the way we created a pill that has all 10 things in it. You take one of these a day, you're going to be healthy, strong and fit as a fiddle to your hundred. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's, it's like one of the easiest, it like one of the things that I love is people who sell on webinars, teaching people how to sell on webinars because yes. it's like you're, you're modeling what you're doing there. So it's just, a, it's a really easy formula to be able to follow. It's, it's super hard in, in most other arenas to be able to do it in that way. But I, you know, I would think that in this case, it, it could just be that simple. Is is that your model? It sort of, it, and the 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 kind of the stipulation, the caveat there is that in the supplement um, space, there are a lot of you know the FDA. There's a lot of regulations about what you can and cannot say, and how you can say it. And so, what we do is we target what we call bleeding neck problems. 
It's like somebody that's got high blood pressure, they're tired of it. I'm sorry, just so, just so I'm clear on this. Did you say bleeding neck? Yes, bleeding yes. neck. So as, as the, so explain that. Yeah, so bleeding neck. Just I mean, make sure I heard that right. Yeah, you did. So it's a it's one of our you know marketing terms, and it's basically if you imagine somebody with a bleeding neck, they're going to do anything and everything they can do to stop that problem, which is a lot different than I've got a, a small sore in my leg that's bothersome but not keeping me from living my life. So we call it bleeding neck in the sense that there are serious issues or issues that could be serious enough that people want to do something about it. So those are more targeted health issues like blood pressure, blood sugar, et cetera. And the challenge becomes because we can't sell our supplements and say, oh, our supplements help you handle your blood sugar. So we sell information, newsletters that handle the actual information part that allow us to make claims that are both accurate and truthful but not cross the line from a supplement marketing standpoint with the FDA. So we sell the supplements on the back end, we sell them through the funnel, but in addition to the information, if that makes sense. So we have a few funnels where we sell the products directly, but usually it's, a, it's after we've gotten the customer. So similar to what you're saying, yeah. Well, no, it raises the flag of liability to me. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to do it that way. It, it's huge liability, but there's, there are many, many companies. I mean, FDA, my regulatory guy, Curtis, he's always like, you know, you don't want an FDA warning letter. That's, that's, that's when things have gone too far. And so we spend a lot of money and time making sure that we, you know, our labels are correct, formulations are correct. We third-party test all our ingredients to make sure that what we say is in the bottle is actually in the bottle and quality is very important to us. So, um, but to your point on on marketing, yes, it makes it challenging, both from a from a marketing standpoint, because as marketers, what what converts is claims, you know, promising a benefit, promising a result, helping you get where you want to go as a customer. But in the health and supplement space, those claims are against the against the rules, basically. So mm-hmm. we have to be creative how we how we market. And so and so, just so folks are clear. What if you were to break down the revenue then of the twenty, whatever it'll be this year? Yep. How does that revenue break down? What What does that look like? Where does it come from? So, it uh, the majority of the revenue. I'm going to say sixty percent of it is what I call front end income, new customer acquisition by you know, advertising and getting new customers on a daily basis. And what are, and what are they what are they buying though? They're buying the newsletters and the books that we market and everything that we sell. Okay, um, so it's a fairly low ticket then. It is our average. Depending on the product, our our average cart, what we call average cart value for a new customer is for one product of fifty to sixty dollars, and for another one ninety to a hundred, roughly. And so for that 50 to 60, are they signing up for a monthly newsletter? No, our funnel is pretty simple. What we do is we, we, we do similar to what you were saying, where we sell them the information, the book to solve the problem, along with the yearly newsletter subscription. And then the upsell is, is a kind of an, oh, by the way, you just purchased this. Here's something to consider our supplements that are designed to help support and, and maintain healthy levels of blood pressure. And that's that that bumps our cart values. And, and what are the price points then on uh, on those different levels there in terms of the the entry point and then the I guess what we might call the upsell and then it, maybe there's another piece there that follows directly thereafter. But what 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 are the price points generally on those? Sure, it depends again on the on the funnel. Yeah, um, we'll take our blood pressure for example. So we sell the the book and the newsletter for forty seven dollars. That's the the front end price. 
Mm-hmm. And then the upsell is usually offered in a one, three, six formulation, meaning you can buy one bottle, three bottles, six bottles, and we give them an option. Hey, do you want to put one time or, or on continuity there on the upsell? So the, uh, I'd actually have to check with my marketing. I don't, I, the, the, the bottle, I think single bottles, 59 bucks. I think three bottles is, is 189 or 229, something like that. Maybe it's whatever the, the, the numbers are. I think six is, I think six is 229 and three yeah. is one, one three. So. Yeah, the price per obviously would go down based on, yep. on on more that you buy there, and and how many? I mean, just doing the the rough numbers here. I mean, geez, let's just call it a, a fifty dollar average pi- price point. You're talking uh, about four yeah, or a hundred, even at a hundred dollars. I mean, you're still talking about twenty thousand customers, right? Over the course of, of a year, is that are you bringing in about twenty thousand customers? Uh, I- no, I, I think it would be so on average. No, that'd be prob- two hundred thousand customers. Yes, twenty two hundred. Yes. Jesus, two hundred thousand customers to add yes. a zero, so, Steve. My God. Yeah, yeah. So wow. we do about five hundred new orders a day right now. Um, are the margins are the margins good? I mean, what what's the cost per acquisition, generally speaking, to to bring on that new yep. customer? So our our we are not making any money, or if we are making money, the margins are very slim on acquisitions. So we may, you know, if we're if we're breaking even, we're thrilled. Particularly in our business model, you know, they say the money's in the back end, the lifetime value of the customers. So we're acquiring customers for basically break even. There's not a lot of profit there. And then as they get on the continuity, the newsletter continuity, et cetera, that is where the, uh, that is where the profit ends up coming from. But then what about your attrition? Like what time yeah. period into the back end do you run into that attrition? And- it, it obviously depends on each individual product and each, each continuity. Uh, also, you know, not, I can tell you that the, like we have, we have our supplement continuities. We have our uh, product called Perfect Meal Plans, which is uh, basically it's a, an eating system, eating plan for healthy eating to address some of the issues that we talked about. Uh, that's all put together for them and just shows up in their in their email box. That has a little bit longer. I think uh, I had to double check the numbers, but I'm going to say like four to five months is the average lifetime on that. Uh, supplements obviously differs, um, again, based on the product, it's roughly the same four to five, three to four months. Uh, the newsletter is something we've rolled out with within the last year. And honestly, I don't know what it's going to be. I know at the industry, you know, normally deals with newsletter uh, renewals, but I don't know where we're going to end up yet. So mm-hmm. that's still a bit of an unknown. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And so take us back to the the embryonic stages of the business. So it's just you and, uh, and, and well, I guess a couple of partners right at the beginning there. Yep. Uh, and you came into an existing. So th- this actually was an existing company that you came into, right? Because the other. No, we, we started it from scratch. Did start it from scratch. Okay. And the idea was, let's do this paleo thing yep. together, the three of you. Let's try to figure yep. something out here. So take us through the the embryonic stages then of of getting started. So it's the three of you, you, you sit down, you brainstorm, you try to figure out, you know, hey, here's where the opportunities lie. You yeah. know, you have expertise in this, I have expertise in this, I have expertise in that. So did you did, did you 
fund it? Like, did you did you have a particular dollar amount in mind? Like, hey, we're all going to kick in ten grand, and if we can't make no, this work on no, thirty grand, I, we're not going to do it. Or no, I ended up uh, funding everything um, in the beginning and through the whole business. I'm the only one that's ever put any money in, uh, and I put the money in not only for the advertising but also to kind of pay bills, so to say, for the other partners while they were working on the business, right? They needed to live. So I, I was, I was paying them at the same time, but you know, the embryonic stage was all about like, let's make that first sale. How do we, how do we take our concept? How do we get it to market and how do we do it quickly and fast to, 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 to see if what we think is going to work is going to work. So, you know, particularly in our business and any kind of marketing campaign, nothing works out of the gate. It never, you know, do you hit a home run now and then? Sure. But the reality is you launch your product and you see that the results are not quite what you expected them to be. So then you, you adapt and you adjust and you tweak and you change and you take the next iteration and that's not quite there either. So you iterate again. And, and that was kind of the process. It took us probably, probably took us about six months before we, maybe six to nine months before we finally got some steady traction with regular sale where we could buy customers close to breaking even. We weren't breaking even, but we were close, right? Enough where it said, hey, we've got something here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so did you, actually, go ahead. No, I was just going to say in terms of the structure then, since you're putting up the majority of the cash, did you then, was it, and you can answer or not answer on this, but I mean, were you... 50% owner and the other guys had 25%. I mean, I'm like, I'm just trying to figure out how you do that. If you, if, if you're bringing on partners, but you're putting in all the capital, yep. how, how do you structure that? That's a very good question. And that's another one of those hindsight 2020 questions that, you know, having a chance to do it again, I'd probably do it a different way. Yeah. Um, there, there was a time in the business where uh, we were going in the beginning and I was you know, paying them, paying the bills, paying for advertising. And we were, basically 400,000 upside down uh, out of my pocket. And I, there was a discussion. It's like, guys, the way that we have this organized is not fair. The risk, risk level for me is far more significant than it is for you. And so our equity structure needs to change. And, and, it, and it did. And then we went back. I mean, sorry, were you? Went back and um, uh, had another discussion. I said, hey, once we get this issue rectified, I'm happy to reinstate where we were at. But were you were you a third a third a third out of the no gate? it was originally it was originally 40 40 20 okay with me and uh the operational partner at 40 and then uh, the traffic advertising partner at 20 and then um it, it went to 70 20 10 when we had the issue and then it was reinstated back to 40 40 20 oh. and then when that partner left uh it became roughly 60 40 Mm-hmm. So all, all things being equal, if you had a chance to do it again, what do you think would make sense? Because, I mean, you shouldered most of the, the obviously not, sure. the, not the time risk, but certainly the financial risk. For sure. For sure. So, again, another learning lesson, right? I mean, it, it, the dynamic that was engaged, the dynamic that was actually happening at the time was basically me paying an employee to do a job, albeit they were called um, mm-hmm. and, and that's a different dynamic than somebody coming in and not to, not to disparage the partners. They all added value at the time. It was, you know, again, if I didn't take the path that I took, would I be where I'm at now? It's hard to say. Um, but knowing what I know now, I probably would have structured things a little bit differently yeah. and, and certainly been able to have some different conversations around 
where the value was being added and where the risk was. Yeah. So hmm. I, I would venture to guess that there was probably significant cost in, in uh, because once you're dealing with physical products, I mean, that, that's a much different game than yes. just information, right? So yeah, sure. did, did the majority or a good chunk of the initial capital outlay go towards the creation of the no. physical products? No. No, actually, the beauty of, of our business is that uh, and our types of business is that when you get that acquisition dialed in and you get the model tweaked, it prints cash for its. I mean, it's, it's cash flow positive in the sense that you, you collect money. There's no there's no uh, accounts receivable. You collect the money the day that you make the sale with the customer and then anything and everything after that, obviously, is a bonus. So. We self-funded all the growth once we got once we got that initial 400 sorted out. It took us about a year to, to, to square that away, but after that, it's been self-funded. Now we have run into cash crunches for sure when we uh, implemented the supplement. So we we started, as you said, with digital, and there's no cost there. But mm-hmm. we moved very quickly from the beginning of digital, even though it was a product and information. We were still selling physical books, so we would print them and fulfill them and send them out so that our customers, particularly that demographic, had something to hold in their hands. It's a big issue. I mean, it's one thing to read a PDF. You know, a millennial doesn't think anything about reading a PDF on a, on a computer, but my parents, my grandparents, they want to hold something in their hands. So yeah. we've always shipped physical, so there's been there. But certainly when we were growing, you know, between the 11 to 30 million time frame, uh, we sucked a lot of cash, both in inventory. I think there was a point in that time when I was looking at the balance sheet my CFO gave me and we were, I think between merchant account reserves, which is all the money we had to have on, on hold just to, uh, just to use our merchant accounts plus our inventory. I think we had a million two and yeah, that's the biggest, there, that, so. that's the biggest scam for another conversation, but we'll, uh, yes. we'll, we'll <laughs> save that one for another day. Yep. Yep. So, and, and there was a point at which, because as we mentioned, you know, we're not making margin on the front, on the first sale. So we're either breaking even or losing, and yet the merchant account's holding 10%. We're already going backwards right there, right? So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, was, it was a challenging time. And uh, Richard, who's our CFO, he was running around like crazy during that year trying to get everything balanced and working. But he did a great job, and we made it through, and, and, uh, and we're still here. So, so the, first, the first hire I'm trying to just go back then to how you mm-hmm. began to to scale. So it's the three of you, you're doing everything, you're starting to put together some funnels, you've got these materials that you're starting to sell. And, yep. you know, I mean, I, I, I've got uh, an extremely small team. Uh, but, you know, at, at some point, I guess if we were to continue to to grow, we'd have to bring on full-time people. But I've made sort of the conscious choice here to intentionally keep it small and keep the margins in the way that I like, right, in, in this uh, in this environment. So it must have been then, was it a, was it a calculated decision to scale? Uh, because it, I would think that the three of you could have taken it. I mean, if you've got three full-time people really digging into an information business and, and yeah. have some supplements and whatnot, I mean, you could easily do a million per employee, if so to speak, at that point. You could have taken it to For a sure. three, four, five million dollar business for sure. If not more with just the three of you and a couple contracted people. 
for sure. So what was what was that turning point then? There was there there was a there was a conscious decision before I ever started Primal um, because I had built some businesses like that previously where it was very much a lifestyle business and it was let's just make as much cash as we can make and let the business be and we're not we're not going to worry about building an asset and. Uh, you know, we ran into issues. I had a partner in that business that uh, didn't look after the operations, and we ended up we were running on ClickBank at the time. We ended up losing our ClickBank account, okay. so we were effectively out of business, right? So, I, there was a, a point that I had gone to a, a seminar um, with a guy named Dan Pena at the time. He's still around and, and does a lot of business coaching, but. It was during that time that I realized, you know, I spent a lot of time and effort and energy building this business, the one that I just set last. Um, and I have nothing to show for it, right? I, I built a lifestyle business and now the now it's fallen apart and there's nothing there. And I said, you know, if I'm going to spend the time, effort, and energy, I might as well build something that matters, build, build something that's going to last. And so that was the decision before Primal started that my next one, I'm going to make it an asset. I'm going to build something of value. And so, yes, we decided to scale. We decided to grow because I wanted to be and, um, and create something more. Mm -hmm. And so the first hire then, uh, what, how, and how did you, and how did you afford, did you just take it from, I guess the proceeds of the business or did you have to put in more cash to carry the first employee? No, but besides that 400 grand that I was talking about, the business is pretty much paid for itself. So I didn't take, I didn't take any money from the business for probably the first year or two. Um, now, in fairness, I had other things, still have other businesses on the side that are not as big mm-hmm. that provide some income. So mm-hmm. uh, that's obviously helpful, but I didn't have to draw off the business. I didn't have to live off of it. So that helped. But my first hire, the uh, initial first hires were necessity hires, customer support, fulfillment, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, the first strategic hire was Nick, who is our head of marketing now. And uh, he was an online marketer as well and was looking for an opportunity. And again, right place, right time. He, he loves the marketing. He loves the business. He just didn't want to run a, quote, business. He wanted mm-hmm. to do the marketing and not have to worry about employees, insurance, rent, you know, bank accounts, and all the other stuff to go with it. So mm-hmm. uh, he's done a great job. And that was strategic in the sense that for me not to have to focus on the marketing every day allowed me to focus on growing the business. And uh, it's worked out really well. Mm-hmm. How, ma- how many employees are you up to now? 51. Uh, uh, we had 51 at, uh, in 17. I think we're, I'm going to say 35 to 40 at the current moment. I'll have to check with our HR lady, honestly. Mm-hmm. It, all virtual or do you actually have a physical no. office? Yeah, we have a few virtual, but we also have a physical office. Another, another learning lesson. Uh, I've done a lot of virtual work with people. And... Um, it's hard sometimes to run a team when everybody is remote mm-hmm. and uh, distractions of not being in an office, being at the house, having the flexibility and freedom of working from home or anywhere. I don't think you always get the same level of focus and attention you do with people that are in an office that you can you know, walk by and knock on their door and say what's going on. Mm-hmm. So do you have a warehouse or strictly an we office? Do. Uh, We have 15,000 square feet uh, in Allen. Uh, About half of that is warehouse and the other half of that is office call center. Uh, That was another, uh, the challenges of growing a business, you know, your leases, most people want to do leases on three and five year terms. What's very hard when you're not going to be there in the next year because you know you're going to outgrow it. So um, we actually 
ran into that situation a couple of times where we've had to, uh, we've got a office we just subleased because we got into at it, outgrew it. And then, so. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, are you, are you ever concerned about putting all of your eggs in, in, into one basket, so to speak, in terms of, from a manufacturing perspective, mm-hmm. like if you're using in, Mary asked a question earlier. I mean, you're not you're you're not necessarily white labeling, but I assume. I mean, are you actually physically producing the supplements, or are you no. using an out? Right. So you're using yeah. an outside company, a contract manufacturer, a, correct? Right. So so talk about kind of the the risk that's tied to that, right? Because sure. I mean, that's got to be a little bit scary, and I think that's probably what prevents some people from getting into this whole world of supplements and and so on because if i am creating i don't know whatever that that supplement is and my manufacturer goes away my business goes away until i find a Correct. replacement and that could be a month or six months or a year and by that time especially in a recurring revenue model situation you're probably going to lose most of those customers yeah. So there's a c- couple things that play into that. First off is that uh, in the supplement space, you're not ordering, you know, you've got to order eight weeks of supplements at a time. So, um, you know, you said six months, but the, the order, it's actually more like 16 weeks because the, the um, however much inventory you're going to keep on hand, right? Plus the, the manufacturing time required to get your next order. So we keep about eight weeks on hand. It takes eight weeks to make it. So we, you know, it's basically 16 week uh, timeframe there. Mm -hmm. And there is some time in there to find a new provider, but you're right. There is risk. So, you know, one, as they say, is the the first number in business. So we have multiple providers. Um, We do preference. We do. And we do preference one uh, over the, over the other one, but we have ways and places to go. Curtis, who's my head of regulatory, he has uh, basically an SOP and a process for vetting new providers. And, and part of that vetting process is the ability to be around for a while, right? Are they going to, mm. you know, are they, are we the biggest customer? Are we one of many customers? Um, will they be able to meet our needs now and in the future? So we've done a pretty good job mitigating that risk, but, of, you know, there's always a risk for sure. Yeah, there's always a risk, I would think. And then, but I, but I like the approach. So let's just say hypothetically you ship 100,000 bottles amongst the various products, whatever. I mean, just 100,000 yep. bottles, just using raw numbers here uh, a month. Is it 50,000 bottles would be with one manufacturer, 10 with another? And 20, no. like how, how, how much are you spreading that out then amongst different manufacturers? Like I said, we preference uh, we we preference one manufacturer over the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, we we do use the secondary manufacturer for a particular like our uh, shake mixes, our uh, meal replacement shake. They've been predominantly providing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that split, but we actually find that the uh, economies of scale are better when we're doing it with one provider because we have the ability to negotiate pricing. We have the ability to have a little bit more leverage mm-hmm. uh, to do that. So it is a bit of a strategic partner and, and we are certainly aware of, of those risks, but of all the things that keep me up at night, that's probably not top of the list. So what's top of the list? Top of the list is uh, our marketing and our claims, uh, making sure that we're not saying something we're not supposed to be saying and the FDA or FTC comes knocking. That's big. Mm-hmm. Um, is Facebook the primary, is, is that the primary channel 
that you leverage from a customer acquisition standpoint or direct no, we mail? We use Facebook, we use Google, we use all the native advertising, we use email. Uh, we started working on some direct mail, but haven't quite cracked that yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we use a lot of channels. And so mm -hmm. in addition, that's kind of my other major, what keeps me up is, is channel risk there. Yeah. Our, our business and the advertising that we do is emotionally edgy. It's not, uh, it's, a, it's designed to get attention. It's designed to punch people's emotional buttons to get them to move and to, to, to take action. Mm -hmm. And some uh, channels don't like that. Like part of the, part of the, I mean, it's a, it's an ever changing landscape in 15 and 16, Facebook and Google loved us. They thought we were wonderful. Spend all the money you can spend and we'll just keep sending you customers. And that's part of what grew so quickly there. And then in 17, they decided they didn't like us anymore. For a variety of reasons, and it's not necessarily us as it as it is the changing landscape within the supplement and health industry. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember um, several years ago, Google had a huge lawsuit about work from home. Um, there, what they were doing, they were sued uh, because they were promoting or allowed to promote this work from home program that uh, really didn't work well for people, and a lot of people got hurt. So basically, mm -hmm. Google. Uh, got sued for that and immediately said, okay, no more of that as an advertising, as a, as a, as a product, right? Mm -hmm. So similar things have happened. So they're constantly looking at where is the, well, I'll give you another, give you, give you another example, brain health, right? So that's a very hot topic mm -hmm. in the health space. Sure. And particularly with the market, you have people with, with dementia, Alzheimer's, um, you know, they're, they're, they're getting a little ill, with, with their with their brain health and they're primed to be taken advantage of, right? So then FTC looks at that and says, wait a second, this is not good. We have too many people out here making claims that are untrue, taking advantage of these customers. So then they come in, they make a ruling, and now the advertising channels are like, wait a second, this could be a huge liability, no more brain, right? Like just turn it all off. It doesn't matter whether they're a good advertiser or not, we just don't want the liability period in this because they can be liable for what gets advertised on their network as well as the yeah so channel or channel risk is is huge Correct. well and there's a lot of ads on TV and radio for brain products yeah for sure yeah. for sure so I mean there's lots of, go ahead no no go ahead I was gonna say there there's ads everywhere I think part of the another part of the challenge is you know, Steve was talking about making decisions. One of the decisions that I have made for the business is that I want to sleep at night. I want to know that the marketing that I do, the products that I make, and what we provide as a company are good for the consumer. They're, they're good products and, they, and they, they give a result, right? And there's lots of people out there that really don't care. Um, and they're happy to put whatever advertising makes money and away they go. So it's, it's a bit of a challenge because it's like, well, look, if we did that, we could probably make a lot more money. But that uh, over there doesn't necessarily let me sleep well at night. So I've, I've, I've go ahead. So I was going to ask a question going back to yeah. the FDA. And yeah. you have to choose your verbiage about the promises, Correct. benefits, all that very carefully. So Correct. that begs the question, how many products do you currently have? How many new ones do you typically roll out that that is still a concern? Because my thinking is if you wrote it, you're done. Um, or, to a, to a degree. So the FDA um, has uh, some very clear guidelines on what you can and can't do. And they, and they have it by disease category, right? So for blood pressure, for example, um, 
there are certain things that you, you just can't say. You can't say that we can lower your blood pressure. We, you can't say that we can um, you know, fix your hypertension. And there are certain disease state words, like Alzheimer's is a disease state, right? Um, a, uh, a fuzzy brain, on the other hand, is not a disease state, right? A fuzzy brain is a very soft kind of like, well, you know what it means. Like maybe you're not as clear as you were before, but it's not a disease, right? So hypertension, blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, those are disease states. And so therefore, we can only say that we help support and maintain a healthy level of whatever. We can support and maintain healthy blood pressure levels. And so to your point, well, if you write the copy once and you're done, Yes and no. If it's on our e-com store, probably so, because we make sure that we follow the rules that, that have to be followed and we write the copy as it is. It gets checked by Curtis Regulatory and we get the okay and, and that's where we go. The only time that might change is if the FDA comes out and now says, oh, by the way, we now are reclassifying what used to be a non-disease state and it is now a disease state, in which case okay. we would have to change our verbiage to make sure that we weren't. Do you have like a copywriter that tries to come up with clever ways? Okay. <laughs> so you, you were asking about the copy and yes, on the, on the e-com store, pretty static on our front end promotions, like every marketing campaign fatigues, it always, um, you know, it runs out. It's just a, it's a nature of the beast. And so we constantly have to reinvent and our process is definitely, um, new copy frequently, new, new message, new leads, new, the offers stay the same. What we're selling stays the same, but how we say it and what we put people in with in terms of a story and the, and the angle changes. Yeah. And that all has to go through compliance, has to go through regulatory, make sure that we're not saying anything in a way that is, uh, detrimental or, or detrimental throws any sure. red flags up for sure. So let's, yeah. let, let's shift then for a second to, yeah. uh, the exit side of the equation here. Because, I mean, you would think that uh, as you're just sort of looking at the trajectory of where you were and where you are and whatnot, like if you could have gotten out in 2017 thir- at 30, yep. you probably would have had a bigger exit. Can, let me just ask you this sure. fundamental question. Can you even exit from your business? I believe I can. There have been a lot of, in fact, uh, just recently, I have to had to dig up the the press release on it, but um if you're ever heard of Instaflex or Nugenics or there's, okay, so the company that makes them, they've, they've changed their name. They used to be direct digital. They're now something else. They just had an exit to uh, a bigger company. Um, trying to think of uh, the guys in California. I can't think of their names right now. They had an exit to Clorox. So the short answer is absolutely. Companies like ours get sold routinely. Mm-hmm. How do you um, value, like what, what would be the value of, of the company then what, what, what are the determining factors in this, in this world of information and, and supplements and so on? How, how do you even value that company? Yeah, I think it's, it's the same that, that any company is valued on in terms of obviously what's the cash flow, what's the net profit that it creates. Um, bless bless you. you. And, <laughs> and so that's, that's you need certainly- something of his. I know I need one of your, <laughs> I need one of your project, one of your products. Exactly. So it's uh, definitely the profits of the company are part of it. I think there's, there's also the brand aspect to it. If you have a, a good brand and a loyal following, that's going to add some, some value to it. I think the other question as is always in any exit is who's buying, is it a strategic partner or is it a, you know, a, 
a fund that's just looking for a certain return. So mm-hmm. um, it, it all depends. And you're asking what the value, heck, I, I honestly don't know what the value is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've got, let's just say hypothetically, since you've been doing it um, since 2012, a couple of different iterations of that and the other, I mean, you probably have half million buyers customers yes, sure. on your list yes. right now right so names addresses emails mm-hmm. phones yeah yep. that's a i don't know what the exact value would be but even at you know at 10 bucks per you know yep. you're talking about a, a five million dollar i mean would you take five million for the company right now cash no no i, I don't i agree with him right so <laughs> no. So probably not. So then it becomes a, qu- a question of EBITDA or, you know, some sure. sort of recurring revenue. And it's just, it's just an interesting conversation to Absolutely. have because like you said, you know, before you were in this business where, you know, it just at the end of the day here, there really wasn't enough value. So you wanted to, to make sure you created a business that could be scalable, that could be sustainable, Correct. that didn't have your face on it so yep. that there could be an exit. But at the same token, you're, you're kind of in, an interesting, um, I don't want to call it a catch 22, but it's a, it's a little bit of a conundrum because recurring revenue is, is one of those, mm, I guess for the lack of, look, man, every business I think has recurring revenue when you come right down to it, you know, every business is, is subject to customers coming and going. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I I guess on one hand you could make the argument like there should be a potentially a lower valuation because of the nature of that business. But Who's to say that 100,000 people are going to wake up tomorrow and in that one hour buy from Amazon? You know what I mean? So it's right. does, isn't every business kind of subject to the, the ebb and flow? It, it is. I, I, I definitely think that is, is true. And as you said, any recurring revenue business, there's always going to be churn. I think, uh, you know, to your point about, you know, half a million customers, yes. But, uh, you know, in our space, there's something they refer to as RFM, which is recency, frequency, and monetary. It's an industry term for how, how recently did the customer buy. If they bought last week, they're more likely to buy than somebody that bought last year or two years or three years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they spent more money with you, they're likely to spend more money. Like if they spent 100, that's certainly better than somebody that spent 20. Or somebody mm-hmm. spends a thousand is better than a hundred. So I think to what I'm saying is, is that there are certain factors in there with the customer list. And even though we have five hundred thousand, or that we generate, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year, they don't all remain customers, particularly within the market that we're in, because they come in for a specific issue. And and it's a bit like uh, a lawyer or a doctor. Sure. They fix your problem and you go away. You don't sure. need them, anymore, right? So um, so that's great that we're helping people. Um, but we've got to do a better job and we're working on how do we get them as an ongoing, okay, now that you've got your problem solved, like let's get back to the other things that you need for remaining healthy. Well, that's what I was going to ask about. What, I mean, if you know the demographics of your entire list, is it 70% women, 30% guys, um, skincare products, lotions, something that's a softer. Like product extension. Yeah, totally. Just expanded as a baby line. We Not totally for babies, but you know what I mean, right? Uh, a new, a new, new line. Yes, yes, for sure. We totally can. Here's the thing that I'm almost, you know, it's a damaged admission. I'm almost ashamed to admit is that we're so good at acquiring customers that we've done a really bad job at monetizing them over the life of the relationship. And that mm-hmm. is what we're focused on now. It's, it's always been like, oh, you know, if 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 there's always fresh water, you don't worry about there mm-hmm. being fresh water. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's 
a strength and a detriment for us. So we've really focused around, you asked about what I sell the company. And the answer is really has less to do with the value and more to do with the vision. I, I believe we can be a hundred million dollar business. Mm. Uh, it's not going to, it's not going to happen tomorrow yeah. uh, or next year, but I believe we have that potential and that's where I want to go with it. So, yeah. um, no, I totally and, get that. And so that, that, that ties into like, we've got to do a better job of, of, of keeping our customers, making them happy and, and having a good, a good experience. I'm in a uh, I'm in a small group mastermind with uh, Roland Frazier and, oh, yeah. and uh, Darren Hardy and you know yep. some other folks there, uh, and and Darren talks often about the the whole analogy of there's so if you picture a Coke bottle and you're drinking the the Coke right and yep. you think you're finished with the bottle, there's usually more in the bottle that with the straw you can get a little bit more out and a little bit more out right and so the his analogy is that there's always more Coke in the bottle so to speak. Yep. And yep. as entrepreneurs, we don't always do the best job of just getting all of the Coke out of the bottle, so to speak. It's right. a really bad paraphrase of, of his story there. But, you know, the point being that there, there's probably huge potential. And as you know, I mean, God, the, the cost of acquiring a customer versus selling something to an existing customer. Yes. I mean, it, yes. it's the, the ROI is night and day. All right. We we've, man, really appreciate all of your time. You shared so much here and, and appreciate the candor. Uh, if people want more information, Steve, about uh, all the fun stuff that you've got going on, where, where are some of the places they should go? I actually do not do a lot of social media. So my email address, which I'm happy to give you, Steve at primalhealthlp.com is the best place to reach me. I'm happy to talk and connect that way. Okay. Um, that would probably be the easiest place to get to me. And intra entry point to the funnel or to the, to, to the books or? Uh, primallabs.com is our main site. Um, and store.primalabs.com is, is kind of where all our products are. There's lots of funnels. I'd have to go dig them all up. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, look, man, I, uh, I, for all of us here, you know, just uh, the, the journey of an entrepreneur is, is a story that we never get tired of hearing, never gets tired of learning from folks like yourself who have had, you know, these massive, massive successes and then got, you know, caught in, in what typically happens with our entrepreneurial journey is somehow we end up back in the trenches and then back right. up again and so on and so forth. So we wish you nothing but the best with Primal and, and everything that. that you're doing there. And uh, again, just thank you so much for sharing your insight. And we certainly encourage everyone to go and connect with Primal Labs and, uh, and of course, Steve Gray. So thank you so much for taking uh, almost an hour here out of your day to be with Go us ahead. on yeah. Beyond Eight Figures for Mary Goulet and for for Wade holding it down in the studio and for Kelly holding it down back at headquarters. I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care, everybody.